Awesome. Well, good morning. Um, so yeah, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Owen, um, and I am the youth worker here currently, only for the next, might be like 10 or 15 days now, isn't it? Um, and I'm also involved in some of the youth work, uh, sort of the media work that's done around here. Um, I also have the great privilege of uh, preaching to you guys this morning through um, our series on the book of Abraham. Uh, for you guys who haven't been with us, we've been working through from the call of Abraham through uh, for a couple of weeks now, um, and Tom introduced us to Abraham, then another Tom um, brought about um, the uh, uh, interaction between him and Melchizedek, and this morning we're going to carry on with chapters 15 and 16. Uh, because I don't have loads of time, I'm going to summarize chapter 15, and then we're going to read chapter 16, and then just go down in four points. But first, I need two volunteers. Um, do I have two volunteers? Um, it's probably better if I go for adults on this one, actually. So, uh, Ben and Emmy. Ben and Emmy. If you'd like to cheer them as they come up. Uh, right, uh, if you'd like, one of you would like to stand there, that'd be great, and one of you can stand here. Um, and the game is incredibly simple. Um, you have to, uh, the first one to finish this wins, um, and you're not allowed to spill any, okay? So, first one to do it wins. Um, and um, yeah, so no spilling, first one to finish it wins. Um, off you go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness, there was... That, that did not go as I planned. It's not fun. <laughs> hey. Well done, well done. You can keep it if you would like. <laughs> okay. Um, now I'm going to be brutally honest with you. That didn't go the way that I'd planned. My expectation when they heard the phrase, do not spill, was they were going to sort of wait and, and very patiently wait until it settled and the first one who would go, then the other person would go because they'd try and win. That obviously hasn't happened. Um, and so my whole uh, story of patience and impatience um, it has gone out of the window, um, but uh, that's fine. At least you got to see two grown people chugging Diet Coke. You know, you don't get that in every church. <laughs> Well, we're going to come back to that a little bit later um, when we look at chapter 16. But first, I just want to summarize chapter 15. Uh, so this passage that in chapter 15 comes on the back of last week's sermon. Um, if you remember, Abraham had gone to rescue his nephew, um, who was in a lot of trouble. Thank you. He then um, brought him back with all of his possessions and um, all of his family. Uh, we then meet Melchizedek, who is this type of Jesus, who um, is this character who's meant to remind us of all that Jesus will be um, in a sort of small way. And then we read in chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, after all these amazing things that had happened to Abraham, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, when I hear the phrase, do not fear, that normally brings one thing to my mind, that um, Abraham was fearing. 
there was a reason for God to say, do not fear. Um, And when you read this, you find out that Abraham is anxious about the promises that God has made to him. It's becoming more and more uh, clear in Abraham and his wife Sarai's eyes that in earthly ways, it is unlikely that they are going to have a child. um, And they're getting on a bit. And so it's becoming more and more likely they're not going to have a child. And they're saying, God, what is going on? Abraham is anxious. He is fearful that God is not going to keep his promises. And so God repeats his promise to Abraham. By the way, I've called this morning's message, Abraham, father, but like with a question mark, and then faith question mark. Because at this point, Abraham is neither a father nor particularly faithful. Um, And so he repeats this call. He repeats this call to Abraham, um, which he does in chapter 12. And then, but he doesn't just repeat it, he formalizes it. And we see this beautiful picture in chapter 15 where uh, God says to Abraham, just as the number of stars in the heavens, so your descendants will be. And we see this becoming a covenant. And a covenant is a, a solid commitment and promise taken between two Parties, And so it expands, not just from a call, but to a covenant in the next slide. Now, what is this covenant that Abraham, uh, Abraham is entering into? Well, this is a covenant about the forming of an earthly nation. And that earthly nation is in two parts. One is people, which is the descendants that Abraham will have. And one is land, the land of Canaan that he has been promised. And now one thing to note is that this is a specific covenant between Abraham and his son and Yahweh to make an earthly nation. And one of the beautiful things about covenant in scripture is this idea of expanding covenants. That as God meets with his people, as relationships build and trust increases, God forms deeper, deeper covenants with people. And so we see this as the next step in Abraham's walk with God, that he has reached a point of trusting in God where God forms this covenant with him of earthly nature. And then we'll see what comes next, which is in chapter 17, where we see God expanding that even further to an eternal covenant. But someone else will be speaking about that. Abraham then performs a sacrifice as a sign of the covenant between him and God. And we see this theme throughout scripture that sacrifice and covenant are together. And this is brought together in its pinnacle, its most beautiful place, as we see the covenant between all of creation and God summed up together in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So, the overall point of chapter 15 is God has a plan to bless the world, to restore it to him, and he's chosen to do it through Abraham. And God keeps his promises. And you say to me, like, Owen, I assume um, after this amazing encounter with God, Abraham just trusts and it's amazing and it's wonderful and the rest of his life is perfectly great. Um, Well, no, unfortunately that isn't the case. And we read that in chapter 16. So if you'd like to get your Bibles and open to chapter 16, we're now going to read chapter 16. I think sometimes we often read the Bible in a bit of a vacuum, like as if, you know, they're stories that sort of sit on their own. But there's a reason why this happens straight after that. So God forms a covenant with Abraham, and then suddenly we see this. 
Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring, that's Hagar, by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, son, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahairo. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Intense stuff. Quite, you know, that could be in a soap. I just want to go through four very simple points, and um, because we love a good acronym, um, I've got a lovely handy acronym, which is ISCBA. Um, and so if you're ever wondering what I spoke on, just remember, ISCBA. Uh, and that stands for impatience, sin, conviction, and blessing, the journey that Hagar and Abraham and Sarai go on. So, impatience, first and foremost. Sarai says at the start of this passage, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She gets to a point of impatience with what God has promised. And when this happens, Sarai immediately looks to do two things. Firstly, to blame someone. And we see that right back in Genesis, straight away. When sin happens, Adam blames Eve Eve blames the sermon. serpent, doesn't blame the sermon. Blame is wrapped up in impatience, in sin, in all of those things. So the first thing she does is blame someone. She blames God. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And she blames Abraham later on for what she does. And the second thing she does is try and fix the situation. And this is often how we want to react to a situation when it's not what we desire, right? 
Maybe we're praying for something and God hasn't, he said not yet. And we're like, but we want this thing. Impatience is a real problem. And I think actually today, more than ever, it's a real problem because we're so used to everything we want at a click of a button. You know, we can just go and grab that thing. You know, maybe we want some water, so we go to a tap and we get it. We want to get some food, so we go to a supermarket. We want to find out an answer to a question that's been bugging us, so I just Google it. And then something happens that we can't control, and suddenly everything seems a lot more difficult. Patience is something you need to learn. Now, I love dogs. I love dogs loads. And um, often, one something you teach a dog is how to wait and be patient. So, you know, you have your food and you put it, you know, down and you say, wait, and they have to stop. And then you might say, you know, good dog, and they go and get it. And they wait and do that. And that comes through teaching, relationship. The dog knows that the patience will lead to a reward because they've seen it. And they know that the human is trustworthy. Now, this is Bonnie. Bonnie is a beautiful chocolate Labrador who I had the delight of getting to know over uh, our holiday. And um, that we were going for a walk through the fields and um, we stopped by this little sort of cafe place and I decided to get a sausage roll. And so I got a sausage roll and um, I was like, oh, you know what would be really great is if I give a bit to Bonnie and then she'll be my friend forever. And so I tore a bit of the sausage roll off. My plan was I was going to put it on my knee and I was going to say, wait. She was going to wait. We were going to have a bond. It was going to be beautiful. <laughs> but most of you know dogs. And um, what happened was as soon as I leaned down, it got eaten out straight out of my hand. See, I didn't have that relationship with Bonnie. She didn't know that I was going to do that. That's not something we'd done before. God often teaches us patience by going through situations where we need to be patient. And just as sometimes with dogs, the, the better trained the dog, the longer you might wait before saying, you know, good dog or, or letting them take the food. A sign of our sanctification journey is how long we can patiently wait for God to do what he's going to do without telling him he's not going to do it, without failing. So, something maybe to be thinking about. Where can you learn patience this morning? Maybe there's a situation that you're like, actually, no, I've not been patient in that. I know that God is my Father. He wants what's best for me, but I'm not being patient. I'm not waiting for him. I don't trust that he's actually going to do what he says. Maybe something to think about during the week. So, what does Sarai do? Well, she decides that if, in her mind, she isn't going to have a son biologically, then she'll use pretty much a surrogate and Hagar. And that leads us on to our next point, which is sin. Now, there are a multitude of sins that are committed through this, through these, this impatience. Distrust of God. Abraham's wrongful submission to Sarai. Adultery in the form of polygamy, which wasn't uncommon at the time. If you were to, if Abraham was to go to another person and go, oh, you know, I've taken another wife, they wouldn't have gone, <gasps> that would have been quite natural. But God knows better. And it's not explicitly stated to be sinful in that way at that time. However, we read in Deuteronomy 17, which isn't that far afterwards, when speaking of kings, it says, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. It is clear 
that the taking of multiple husbands and wives at the same time is not encouraged biblically and it leads to problems. It's also really interesting as well because God gives honour to those who are downtrodden. And you may say, well, that doesn't, it doesn't look like Hagar's honoured much in this situation. But we'll talk a little bit about how she is honoured later. But there's a reason why God says that what Abraham does is not all right. It's because he honours those who are downtrodden. Other sins that are, con- are conceived are envy, contempt, anger, blame, cowardice. It's a lack of husband responsibility from Abraham all through the story. Impatience at God puts you in a dangerous position and it beckons sin ever closer to your heart. So if maybe something's come up in your heart of impatience that you've been thinking about when I said that, have some time thinking because it is, it can be quite dangerous. Next, conviction. God takes this journey with Hagar, but we get this beautiful line which says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord knew where Hagar was at all times. He didn't lose her. But we get this lovely, beautiful line of him, her being found. The sense of the Lord seeking out Hagar in this situation. And often when we think of God, we speak about the story of the prodigal son and the father being sort of back at home, and when the son returns to him. And that's good, and that is amazing, and that's right, and it's awesome, that story. But also, in the heart of God, there's a desire to seek, to reach out, to find you. Psalm 40 speaks about being lifted out of the miry pit. There's a seeking, there's a finding in that situation. He is the shepherd who will leave the 99 to find the one. Hallelujah. But it is really interesting. What does he say to Hagar? Does he say, wasn't Sarai awful? Isn't she a sinner? No. He says, return to your your mistress and submit to her. Return and submit, which may seem an incredibly weird thing in this situation. The Spirit brings conviction of the sin committed by Hagar. He doesn't talk to her about the sin that's committed by Sarai or Abraham. He doesn't gloss over her sin because the sin of Sarai was so much worse. God is interested in you and your sin and how that affects your relationship with him. And maybe that's a word for someone here today. Maybe you know that when the Spirit convicts you of sin in your heart, you're too eager and quick to say, but they. And I can hold my hand up that often I do that. When someone's pointing out something in my heart, I can become defensive. I can try and push the blame and go, no, it, you know, it wasn't wrong because of this situation or because they did this. But actually in that situation, all we need to do is bring our sin, bring our heartache to the Father, asking for forgiveness and restoring unity and restoring unity to others if my sin has caused issue with other people. I also want to make it clear that God will deal with their sin as well. Abraham and Sarai do not get off lightly with this mistake and this sin. It causes heartache, pain, disunity in their family, 
we read later, it causes conflict later as well. But we also see that God has evidently done something in the heart of Abraham by the time that Hagar gets back. And we'll read about that in a minute. Finally, blessing. There's a promise of blessing. And as much as God hates sin, as I said earlier, he loves the downtrodden, the outcast. And this is clear in his dealing of Hagar. We need to remember that this woman was in servanthood. Her life was not her own to do with what she wanted. Her body was not hers to do with what she pleased. And God restores this to her through her son. There's a promise that her son will be strong and independent, not in service like her. When she returns to Abraham, he names her son publicly, acknowledging him as his son, giving him a family name, protection and support. All that Hagar didn't have, Ishmael would. And we see the Lord's hand on Ishmael through his life. Ishmael is not, a child, is not the child of promise to Abraham. He's not the descendant through which the covenant is formed. But he is a child of promise. He's a child of promise to Hagar. God takes the impatience, the sin, the heartache, and through his sovereign plan, which remains unchanged, there is mercy and forgiveness for all who fall on his grace. And that is the same today as it was, you know, three, 4,000 years ago, which is insane. I'd just like to ask the band up. Just a couple of final things. Maybe you're in a situation at the moment where you feel a lot like Hagar. You're at that spring, having run away, feeling lost, and you need a touch of the Holy Spirit. You need the God who hears, the God who sees, to meet with you this morning, and he wants to. Maybe you feel you've always been at that spring. Maybe you don't know the God who hears. He wants to meet with you this morning. Maybe you feel like Sarai. Maybe you've been impatient of the promises that God has for you, and you've tried to do it yourself. Or maybe you've sinned against someone else this morning and you need to come back to a place of forgiveness and unity. Or maybe actually you feel a bit like Abraham. You've let something go on and you know it should have stopped a long time ago. There's grace and forgiveness for you this morning. And so as we sing this song together of freedom of no longer being slaves to fear and sin. If you know God this morning, remember you are a child dear to him. Run to his arms. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you have an amazing opportunity to run into his arms this morning. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that even when we fail so miserably, you seek you find us, you care, you love, you bless. Thank you that nothing that we can do can ever alter your sovereign plan. You know. You know what you're going to do. And just as we heard earlier, we see that in your word. We see that in the culmination of 
what Revelation speaks about. And Lord, I just pray this morning, Holy Spirit, come right now, fall in this place. Come and bring conviction. Come and bring blessing. Come and bring patience where it's needed. Come and reveal yourself. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.